God's word comes to us today from Mark 13, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 35 through 37. And as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And now verse 35. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. What Jesus says to his disciples is what every preacher wants to say to the congregation. Please, for the love of all that is good, stay awake. (laughs) Stay awake. I hope that this sermon does not put you to sleep. Um, Yeah, we're going to be looking at the end times. The end times. As, As contextualized by Jesus' conversation with his disciples, which is which is based upon a question they have about the temple about the temple. So I I hear this question often in my last 25 years of of being in ministry. I've asked it myself. And that uh, that is this question. Do you think we're in the end times? Do you think we're in the end times? Well, do you? Well, some of you are like, I'm not sure. I know generally when you ask a question and I'm supposed to respond, it's always a trick question. It's not true. It's not always a trick question. It's just usually a trick question. But I, I, I want to read. Uh, we're not going to be covering the book of Revelations, but I just want to read a few verses here from the opening. It's the prologue of John's revelation that he received from the Lord Jesus Christ when he was taken up on the Lord's day in the spirit about the things that are to come. You ready for this? Let's just take a look at what John says. This is the book of Revelation about the end times. You ready? Let's listen. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. So what do you think? We've been in the end time since Jesus rose again and ascended into heaven. Period, full stop. But that's not what people are asking when they ask that question. They want to know yeah, yeah, I know we've been in the end time since Jesus ascended, but what I really want to know, is he coming back next week? Is he coming back next month? 
is, is what I'm seeing over on the other side of the world when Hamas invaded Israel, is that, is that, a, is that a trigger to bring about everything all this week or, or, or soon? Or is, is what's happening with the United Nations and the, and the formation and all that? Is, is that is, is, I don't know. I have no idea. And you know what? Neither do you. And you know what else? Neither does anybody else. We're not terribly different than the disciples. In fact, we're just the same. What we're going to look at this morning in, in Mark, in Mark is, is what we can be certain about regarding the second coming. We're going to look at three things. First of all, what we want to know, what the disciples want to know, uh, what we actually need to know, which is different than what we want to know, by the way, just in case you're wondering, and then how do we respond to what Jesus is going to tell us? Now, a couple things before we get into this. Uh, what this sermon is, it's evaluating this question in the context of an event that Jesus is referring to and his disciples are asking about, and that's the destruction of the temple. So we're looking at this from the context of the gospel of Mark and a very specific thing that Jesus says is going to happen and then the Jesus question about that specific thing that's going to happen. So that's what we are doing. Here's what we're not doing. What we're not doing is we are not looking at an overall exhaustive treatise on all the things that surround the second coming of Christ. That's not what we're doing in this sermon. So there's no way we could cover that in the next 40 minutes. Some of you are like, you never preach 40 minutes. You always say 40, but it's always at least 45. Well, that might be so, but we can't cover it in 45, 50, or 60 minutes. We can cover Jesus' exchange with the disciples prior to the destruction of the temple. That's what we're going to do. So open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Let's pray and we will get to it. Father, come to you with a, a humble dependence. Lord, this is a difficult passage. I don't pretend to understand everything in it, and I'm sure the disciples didn't either. So Spirit, we need your wisdom, we need your guidance, and we need you to uh, help us to appropriate the gospel, that we might believe, that we might stay awake, as you told the disciples, that we might be found ready when you return, that we might be encouraged, that we might not be afraid, but Father, that we might eagerly anticipate the coming of your Son. And Father, give us, um, give us this day, uh, Jesus, the sense and, and the, uh, the faith to grasp onto what you're saying, that we might live for you who died for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's get to it. First of all, what we want to know, what we want to know. Let's take a look at the context. As he came out of the temple, you remember Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. He rides in on the foal of a donkey. Uh, people are throwing down palm branches. They're praising him. He goes into Jerusalem. He goes back out of Jerusalem. He comes back in. He overturns tables in the temple. So there's this conflict. And it all centers around what goes on in the temple. And he overturns the tables and there's this exchange where the, the Pharisees are peppering him with all sorts of questions. They're testing him and, and they're trying to trap him. And so now, now they're, they're leaving the temple. They're coming out of the temple. This is, this is where the center of worship takes place in Judaism at the time that Jesus was on this earth the first time. And they, the disciples are like, look at these wonderful stones and, this, and this, these wonderful buildings. The temple... Herod's temple, Solomon's temple, and, and then it was destroyed by the Babylonians. And then after the captivity, when the Jews came back, they rebuilt the temple. 
They rebuilt the temple. And then when Herod, uh, the, uh, Herod the Great was, was ruler, in, in, uh, puppet ruler of, of, of Rome, he began to refurbish the temple and build it up and make it even a bigger deal than it was before. And so it's a, it's a magnificent, magnificent ar- 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 architectural wonder. It's the center of worship. And so the disciples, are, they're in awe of this. And they're like, this is amazing. Take a look at this awesome temple. And then Jesus says, yeah, it's awesome. Do you see these stones? See these buildings? There will not be left one stone upon the other will not, that will not be thrown down. And just let that sink in for a second. Let's say that you, you enter a church, you enter a government building, you're at the, old ca- you're at the, uh, the, the Capitol in Washington, D.C., and you're, you're marveling at the Lincoln Memorial. You're standing there next to Jesus. You're just looking at how beautiful everything is and, and what it stands for and what it represents. And then Jesus says, yeah, yeah, that's all great, but none of this will be existent. It'll all be swept clean. You won't see any of these stones on top of it. That's unsettling. That's unsettling. So imagine how the disciples are thinking when Jesus is saying, yeah, the temple's great and everything, but it's going to be swept bare. What goes through your mind when you think that? Well, we don't have to wonder what goes through their mind because they'll tell us what's on their mind. So they walk across the Kidron Valley. So now they are, they've walked out of Jerusalem. They've gone down, they've crossed the creek and they've gone up the other side of the hill, which is the Mount of Olives. And now they're looking back over to Jerusalem so they can see the temple across the valley. They can see Jerusalem. As he sat on the Mount of Olives up, up opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So there are four of them. It's not all the disciples. It's just four. They asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? What do they want to know? It's not a trick question. They want to know, when is this going to happen? You said the temple's going to be destroyed. When? And what are going to be the events that are going to show us that it's imminent, that it's, it's going to happen anytime? Now, Matthew gives a little bit more color in terms of how their question is phrased so, and, and what they want to know. So look at Matthew's version. Tell us, when will these things be, i.e., when's the temple going to be destroyed? But what else do they want to know? And what will be the sign of your coming and the what? End of the age. Okay, now, it's important that we understand from their context, what they're expecting. What they're expecting. So what did Jesus tell them? Jesus told them, yeah, the temple's great, but it's going to be torn down. Okay, now, what do they assume that means? You can jump back in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14. This is in the Old Testament. This is concerning the coming day of the Lord. This is prophecy in Zechariah's time. He's talking about a future day in which God will come and judge the nations and establish his kingdom. Okay, that's, that's what he's talking about. And in Zechariah chapter 14, he says the nations will surround Jerusalem. They'll besiege Jerusalem. They'll invade Jerusalem. People will be put to the sword. The women will be raped. Awful. Awful. And then the day of the Lord will come and God will judge the nations. 
and he will establish, establish his rule and his reign from Jerusalem. Now, so you're reading this, you're listening to Zechariah, you've been brought up in the synagogue, and you've heard over and over and over and over again about how the Lord is going to judge the nations after they invade Jerusalem. So when Jesus says the temple's going to be torn down, what do you think immediately follows that? If you're Jewish, and if you've read Zechariah and any other prophecy, you think the day of the Lord is the equivalent of the tearing down of the temple. In other words, they happen one right on top of the other. That is a natural assumption. And so when the disciples ask, tell us, when will these things be? When is the temple going to be torn down? Which we also know is simultaneously when the kingdom of God comes and is, is, is consummated because we all know that because it's all one event. They don't know that. It's not one event. So what they want to know is two different events. They want to know when's the temple going to be torn down and when are you going to return? They think it's the same thing. Okay, so that gives us our context. Make sense? That's, and, and by the way, whenever we're reading prophecy that's occurred in hindsight, it's so clear, like the first coming of Jesus. When Isaiah says, behold, the virgin will be with child, we're like, duh, Mary, you know, the virgin. It's like, try to figure that out on the front end. It's a lot harder before it's happened. So a lot of what we're looking at hasn't happened. Some of it has. So we're entering into this, and I want you to understand, this is a very difficult passage. It's because some of it's happened already, and some of it hasn't. The disciples, for them, none of it had happened, and they think it's all going to happen at the same time. And so Jesus is about ready to tell them. All right, let's take... So that's what they want to know. They want to know when. They want to know when and what's going to happen. That's what they want to know. That's what they're asking. And then Jesus tells them what they need to know. What we need to know. So let's take a look. He tells them what you can expect and how to respond. So we're going to go through some bullet points here. We're not going to look at the, in every verse on the PowerPoint. You have your Bibles. Hopefully, if you don't, you can open them on your phones or open the, the old-fashioned print version. Either way, it'd be good for you to follow along. I'm going to give you some bullet points here. First of all, here's what Jesus says. Okay, you can expect false teachers. You've got to expect false teachers. Let's take a look here. In, in Mark chapter 13... Uh, verse 5, and Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. What does that mean? It means that people are going to try to lead you astray. You've got to be ready for false teachers. Many are going to come in my name saying, I am he, I am he and they'll lead many astray. So there's going to be false teachers. So don't be led astray. First thing, they want to know when, and he says, you need to know what. Here's what's going to happen. People are going to come and they're going to try to lead you astray. Newsflash. Not everyone who says I'm speaking in the name of the Lord speaks in the name of the Lord. Not everybody who opens up a Bible actually speaks for God. There are many false teachers and you as followers of Christ in this generation and in Peter's generation, you need to be discerning and you need to be in the word so that you can discern, so that you're not led astray. If you are wholly dependent on the expert behind the pulpit, you will be gullible and you will be led astray. 
You should be so familiar with the word that when someone starts feeding you a line of garbage, something which is not right, your spidey senses will start tingling. I know that's a reference that's only applicable for those who, who follow the Marvel Universe, but it just simply means that red flags, warning signals, will start beeping in your head. You've got to become dependent upon the Word of God, not dependent upon the, the expert behind the pulpit. Because the experts behind the pulpit sometimes are full of nonsense, and they will lead you astray. Now, I can tell you that I'm not one of those guys, but no one's going to tell you that, hey, I'm here to lead you astray. That's on you to be discerning. And Jesus is saying, be ready for it. Expect it. Expect people to feed you garbage. You've got to be self-feeders. Let me ask you a question. Time spent on Facebook or scrolling through the news versus time in the word. Facebook, the younger generations. What's Facebook? TikTok, whatever, whatever your social media platform. If you spend more time consuming stuff from the world compared to what you're consuming from the word of God, you are putting yourself in a position where you're vulnerable to be led astray. And every headline and every article and every post is going to throw you into chaos. So Jesus says, there's going to be false teachers. So don't be led astray. Second of all, there's going to be birth pains. So don't be alarmed. Birth pains. Let's take a look at what that means. Verse 7. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. Pretty clear, right? Let's contextualize it. Tomorrow morning you wake up. You turn on the news or you open your phone. And there's been an invasion. The United States Capitol building... The Lincoln Memorial and the White House have been leveled. And we are under occupation of some foreign entity, which, which means us harm. What does this first mean? Wait for it. Jesus says, don't be alarmed. These are just birth pains. How many of you would be alarmed? Anybody? You're darn right you'd be alarmed. Why? This is America. Nobody comes into my home. and Jesus is saying, America is irrelevant in the, in, in the kingdom of God. The Soviet Union, which is no longer the Soviet Union, is irrelevant. China, irrelevant. All of these nation states, irrelevant. They don't matter. The people that live there, they matter. The Christians that follow Jesus, that live in those countries, they matter. Jesus is talking to the individuals who follow Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit, wherever they're at, in whatever context in history, whatever government they're under, whatever government that's been overthrown, whichever government's about to overthrow them, whichever government is going to overthrow them, he's saying they don't matter. They're just rumors and, and rumors of war. It's just birth pains. It, birth pains are painful. Yes? Hence the phrase pain right? Birth pains, by definition, are painful. Any mother who's given birth says, amen. 
It's painful to give birth. He's saying, don't be alarmed. If you didn't know there was a baby on the other end of those pains, ladies, you'd freak out. Some of you are like, I was freaking out anyway, and I knew what was coming. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Jesus is saying you should not be alarmed by wars and rumors of wars. They're going to happen. And not just wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and famines. The, the great pandemic hit, hit, right, in 2020. The world's ending. Jesus is coming back next week. Fauci's the Antichrist, whatever. It's like, people, wars, rumors of wars, these are just birth pains. These are birth pains. And by the way, every generation, we, can, we always look back at what happened last week and last year's news and 50 years ago, and we just giggle at how naive and how silly they are until it's our generation and it's our birth pains, and then we're all, oh, the sky's falling. It's like, it's birth pains. It's birth pains. All right, let's keep going. Persecution. Verses 9 through 13, let's take a look. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governments, governors and kings for my sake to bear witness for them. And the gospel must be proclaimed in all nations. Matthew's version says the gospel must be preached in every nation, and then the end will come. And when they bring you to trial, deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you're going to say. But whatever is given to you in that hour, for it's not you who speak, but it's the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here's what Jesus is saying. You can expect intense persecution, and some of you are going to die. There you go. So you should expect it. If you're going to follow me and you're going to speak for me, you should expect the world will hate you. You shall expect persecution. You shall expect the Holy Spirit to give you words and courage in that moment so that you can represent me faithfully. That's what you can expect. That's what you can expect. This is, I think, more difficult for American Christians to read and hear than it is for Christians that have lived in other places in the world currently and for Christians that have lived throughout the last 2,000 years. To them, they're like, well, duh. For us, we're like... Persecution? We live in a time in history which is, in a place in history which is, is altogether an anomaly in human history, for the most part. Most people that have lived the last 2,000 years have lived in war torn countries where they're not sure who's going to rule in the next 20 years. Most people live in a constant state of fear because their governments are oppressing them or there's a foreign invader that's about to invade or invading. Most people live in parts of the world where to share your faith openly is flat out against the law. And we don't live in that country. We're we're blessed. And so any form of pain, which looks like persecution, which looks like government instability, we freak out. And here's what Jesus is saying. That's most of the world. Don't freak out. Just be ready. Just be ready. I remember, I think it was the last election cycle, the last national election cycle. I got to be careful. I don't want to make fun of people, but I do want to point out error. There was a congressman, I don't remember his name. It wasn't an Iowa congressman, but 
but was talking about religious persecution in the United States and how we have religious freedom. And this person said that the, the only hope for global Christianity is religious liberty in the American dream. What? America is not the only hope for the world. I start to get a, a tick. That's uh, just the... Okay. The angry brooks almost rate a resurgence. Okay, that, that's utter nonsense. What would Jesus say about that? He'd say, what are you, what are you talking about? Do you know right now the fastest growing Christian nation where Christianity is growing at the greatest rate in the world right now, as I'm preaching to you Americans that have religious liberty, take a guess where it's not happening. Here. Take a guess where it is happening. Iran. 5.7% annually. They're exploding. And do you know what happens if you preach the gospel in a public sphere in Iran? They hang you. The gospel is not dependent upon your religious liberty in whatever nation you live in. When Jesus said, hey, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom, guess what he meant? He meant the gates of hell would not prevail against the kingdom. It is completely irrelevant what kind of government you live under or what your economic status is. Nothing can hinder the advancement of the kingdom. And he wants his followers to be confident Oh, by the way, he didn't say you wouldn't be killed. No guarantees. You might be one of those martyrs. They can shut you up, but they can't shut the gospel up. And the only way they can shut you up is if they take your life. That's what he's saying. Don't worry about whether or not you're arrested, whether or not you're persecuted. You will be persecuted. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. And Paul said in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he said, whoever wants to live a godly life will be persecuted for my name's sake. That's what Jesus said. So what's he saying? You're going to be persecuted. So don't freak out and don't be alarmed. Christians have been persecuted since Jesus was here. Be ready. It's inevitable. They can kill you, but they can't hinder the kingdom of God. All right. Next, global tribulation. Okay, what does tribulation mean? The word tribulation. It means trial. It means testing. It means hardship. It means suffering, intense suffering. So let's take a look. Just We won't look at the, all the verses here because there's quite a bit. That's verses 14 through 33. But look at verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. And there's a parenthetical comment here by Mark, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down or enter his house or take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not return back to take his cloak. And basically what he's saying is there's going to happen, something's going to happen, it's going to happen quick, it's going to happen sudden, so you're not even going to have time to go into the house to get your stuff. You just need to head for the hills. And he says, the, and he says let the reader understand. What's that about? He, this is a reference to Daniel, the abomination that causes desolation. Here's what Daniel foretold 100 years before Jesus. Daniel foretold that someday there would be a, 
a blasphemous individual, a man of lawlessness who would enter the temple and he would make worship all about himself. They call it the abomination desolation. It's like, hmm, so has that happened already? Well, it's happened multiple times, actually. Happened the first time when Antiochus came into the temple and offered pig's blood on the altar of the temple. By the way, that's not kosher. That's an, you don't do that in the temple. So he desolated the temple. Okay, so is that what Daniel's talking about? Or is he talking about later? Uh, spoiler alert, the temple doesn't exist anymore. It was torn down in 70 AD. Is that what he's talking about? Or is he talking about some future desolation that's going to occur that's, that's going to spark a global tribulation? The answer to that question is yes, yes, and yes. Yes, yes, and yes. And he said, well, that, that's not satisfying. I want a date. I want a time. I want to know if Gorbachev's the Antichrist. No, it turns out, no, he's not. But people used to think he was. I want to know if Hitler is the Antichrist. No, he's not. People used to think he was. It's Biden. <laughs> Seriously, I, I'm almost going to go out on a limb. There's probably somebody here who thinks it is. Okay. There are files and files and files of, of people that that's the person who's going to enter the temple. That's going to be the world leader. That's going to be the, the man of lawlessness in Second Thessalonians. The Antichrist in Revelation. There is an Antichrist that is capital A that will come someday and he'll enter, he'll, he'll bring about all this, this horrible stuff. But John says in, in, in 1 John, he says, many of you are concerned about the Antichrist. He says, there's many Antichrists in the world right now. And it, an Antichrist is anyone who, who does not believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Now, there's going to be a capital A Antichrist, but, but all of these things prefigure that. So this global tribulation, this great tribulation that Jesus says that it's going to be so bad. Verse 19, for in those days there will be such a tribulation as not been from the beginning to the creation to the end that God created until now and never will be. If the Lord did not cut those short days short, no human being would be saved. So Jesus is talking about a great tribulation that's going to be so awful that if God doesn't stop it, everybody'd be dead. And he said, so you can, you can count on that. So be on your guard. So be on your guard. Now, I don't want to show hands, but I just want you to think about this question. When you think about the return of Christ and the events that surround it, does that scare you? Don't, don't answer this thing. Is it frightening to you? It is for many people. Do you know who it's not frightening to? to Christians throughout history that lived under persecution. Do you know why? Because they're already experiencing the tribulation, a tribulation. You see, but that's not the great tribulation. That's not the great one. It's just a tribulation. Okay, you tell me. You live in Iran in 2022, 2023, 2024. Your family was arrested and they were all hung for, for telling people about Jesus. Is that tribulation less intense to you and your family than the great tribulation where there's just more people all over the world experiencing the exact same thing? What do you think? See, the great tribulation is only great because it just takes place over a larger swath of the planet at the same time. That's what makes it great, not the, the amount of pain that one experiences in the middle of it. So this is why Jesus is saying, so be on your guard. Because here's the truth. 
whether or not it's the great tribulation globally, worldwide, that, that happens right before Jesus physically returns, or whether it's the a tribulation in which you and your family and those around you are all executed because you love Jesus, pain is pain. Suffering, suffering. So be ready. So be ready. And then lastly, verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels to gather his elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come in glory. He's going to come visibly. I kid you not, I can't even make this stuff up. I don't remember. It might have been a decade ago. I was preaching through Luke, and it was a parallel passage. It was this passage, but it was Luke. He's talking about Jesus, talking about when Jesus returned. I'm giving the message just as I am right now. And some guy right in the middle of the sanctuary, right about there, he stood up in the middle of the sanctuary. By the way, please don't do this if you have an inclination. But he stood up and he let everybody know that Jesus Christ had already returned. (laughs) What? So I called him a heretic and had the elders escort him out of the church. And that was that. When he comes, you'll know it. It won't be a mystery. Every eye shall behold. As lightning is visible on the horizon, when Jesus comes, you won't wonder. You'll know. And so will everyone else. Take a look. Jesus gives a a parable then. He says, from the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as the branches become tender and put out leaves you know that summer's near. Some of you are like, you know, the little groundhog came out and didn't see its shadow. Spring's coming. And so that's a sign, right? And well, I'll tell you what is a sign for sure. When you see the trees start to bud, you know summer's near. So Jesus is kind of going along those lines. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Verse 30, hone in on this. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all these things have taken place. How many of you are scratching your heads right now? Wait, what? This generation. Which generation is he referring to? The generation he's speaking to. What does he say is going to happen? All these things will take place. Heaven will, earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. How many of you are confused right now? If you're not confused, you're not paying attention. That's why I said at the beginning of this message, this is really hard. What's he talking about? Go back to verse 4. What are the disciples, What did they ask him? What, first of all, what did he say to them before they asked the question? What's the context of this whole chapter? What did he say? The temple? It's going to be destroyed. What do they ask? When? What do they also add to it? All these things. Jesus is saying, yeah, what you asked earlier, my personal opinion, here's what I think Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is saying, your original question had to do with when the temple's going to come down. 
you'll be alive to see it. This generation will not disappear before the temple's gone. Now, there's also a whole bunch of other things which are not going to happen in this generation, but they're so close together and they're one on top of right. They think it's going to happen in this generation. So what they're asking, what Jesus is saying is not necessarily the same thing. But that's the, what's the point though? What's the point? Jesus wants them to be ready. So how should we respond? Verse 32, don't miss this. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. Okay, here are two absolute truths that you can know absolutely. Ready? Number one. Number one, Jesus will return physically. It is an absolute truth. You can know it absolutely for certain. Here's the second thing. No one knows when. Period. Full stop, except the Father. So stop trying to figure out when. Stop clipping newspaper articles and focus on what God has told us to do. That's the point. That's the point. This is crucial. So what not to do? Jump ahead to Acts chapter 1. This is fun. It's fun. I think it's fun. So Jesus is resurrected. He's with the disciples. He's about ready to ascend into heaven. And in chapter 1, verse 5 he says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So verse 6, so when they all came together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? What are they wanting to know? Is it time yet? Now? 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 He's asked, they're, at, they're right back to the timing question. Jesus' response Verse 7, I can just see him rubbing his temples. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you're going to receive power, and when you do, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. In other words, he says, stop focusing on when and focus on what. The what being what you're supposed to do. Can you just do that? But when, but when? It's not for you to know. Focus on what? It gets better. It gets better. Keep reading. This is great. So Jesus ascends into heaven, rises up into the clouds and disappears. Verse 10. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. These are angels and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up for you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him going into heaven. What do they immediately do? They're watching the clouds for him to come back. And the angels are like, oh my gosh. What, what, why, why are you standing there looking into heaven? Did he not give you instructions? So what this illustrates is our fascination with the when and the where and the how of his return 
And Jesus' insistence on stop focusing on the when, the where, and the how and focus on what you're called to do and who you're called to be. That, that's the point. That's the whole point of this chapter in Mark. That's the whole point of talking about his return. The talk about the return, the teaching about the return of Christ is supposed to be an incredible encouragement for Christians worldwide. But in America, where we already have our 401ks and we have nice jobs and nobody beats us up because we talk about Jesus and nobody's arrested because we love Jesus and we get a worship in a facility where the government gives us a, a 501c3 tax-exempt status as a nonprofit, it's awesome. And so we're terribly worried about what's going to happen right before Jesus' return. And we're the only people in the history of Christianity that views the return of Christ with, with fear. Everyone else in the world that's experiencing persecution worldwide, which is most Christians, is thinking, please, Jesus, come back soon. I think we need a paradigm shift. This is not something to be afraid of. Do you know who is waiting for Jesus' return? is people who are familiar with suffering. That's who are waiting for Jesus' return. That's who's longing for Jesus' return. Do you want to know who people are, who, the people that are waiting for Jesus' return? People that have lost people they love dearly. People that have come to realize that all of the glitter in this world is not gold. They're longing for his return, and we ought to long for that same return. The only question is, when Jesus returns, will we be found faithful? You don't know when he's going to return. So I met with a group of people just before the service, and we prayed, and one of them said, you know, God gave me a picture, kind of a paradigm to understand this whole end times thing. I'm going to share with you what this, what this lady said. I thought, that, that'll preach. That'll, that'll work. She said, you know, regarding the end times... Either Jesus is going to return and my time will end or my time will end and I'll stand before Jesus. Within this generation, that's true for every single human being sitting here today. One way or the other, Jesus is going to return bodily and you're going to have an account for every thought, every word, every deed you've ever had. Or you're not going to make it through the end of the week and you're going to stand before Jesus and you're given account for every thought, every word, every deed you've ever had. One way or the other, your time ends. The clock runs out. I've heard athletes say this, I never lost a match, I just ran out of time. You're going to run out of time one way or the other because Jesus is going to return or you're going to, you're going to pass. The question is, are you ready for that? Some of you are not. Some of you are not. Some of you are not ready because you have not trusted Christ for your salvation. You are thinking that you have got a good life and you are a good person because God has blessed you. False. That's not true. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we are justified in Christ by grace through faith. That simply means that all of us need to reconcile, to be reconciled to God. Come to him, confess your sins, repent and believe. That's how a person becomes a Christian. That's how you make yourself ready. 
by belief and trusting in what Christ came to do in the first place, which is bear our sins, conquer sin, conquer death. So if you have not yet trusted Christ, make today the day of your salvation. Trust him, place your faith in him. Secondly, if you are a follower of Christ, organize your days in such a way that when he returns, whatever you are found doing, he'd, he'd be pleased with that as a follower of Christ, not to earn your salvation, but to further his kingdom. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about where you're going to live, what you're going to eat, what you're going to do, what clothes you're going to wear. He says, your, your father knows what you need. He says, instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And God will provide all these things for you. That's what he's saying to, these peop- to, to his disciples. Listen, the world is going to drop out from underneath you. But if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, if you're on guard and you're awake, nothing will surprise you. Nothing can steal your joy. Your life can be taken from you. Your family can be decimated. Your finances can be gone in an instant. The stable nation that you live in now can be in civil war tomorrow. None of that ultimately matters. But if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, God will provide for you or he'll take you home. Either way, it's a win-win. So don't be afraid. Be ready. Would you please stand as I close benediction by reading Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, we come to you and we ask you to give us a spirit of revelation. Lord, we live in prosperous times, in times of peace, in times of prosperity, in times of relative ease. And that's a unique place in history for for those who follow Christ. We thank you for that. We do not pray for persecution, but we do ask, Lord, that you would help us to be ready, ready for your return, on guard, found in Christ, found faithful. Lord, would you show us how to be faithful? Would you remind us that we have all of these things in Christ already, regardless of what the future may hold for us? Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to be faithful. Let us live for your glory, that you might be praised and exalted among the nations. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go in grace. We'll see you next week.